this is the On The Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's Jason. I need your help. This show has experienced tremendous growth in the two months that we've been in existence. A heartfelt thank you from me to you for listening to this podcast. I want more and more coaches, parents, players, men, women, boys, and girls who love the game of soccer to learn about this show. So, I need your help. Help me in one of two ways. One, tell a friend that you like this podcast. Just like you would with a restaurant or an item of clothing or a service that you enjoy. Word of mouth still matters in 2019. The second If you listen to the show on Apple Podcast, please go and leave a five-star rating and a review. Before you go any further, hit pause and do it now. All right, let's get on with the show. In episode 20 of On the Touchline, I talk with my friend Zach Snyder. Zach is the owner of Snyder Strength and Conditioning in Mount Pleasant, PA, which is about 45 minutes southeast of Pittsburgh. Zach is a former Division I college wrestler at Penn State University. He also trains athletes of all shapes and sizes from novice to competitive. He also trains children to adults at the gym that he owns. Zach has worked with several soccer players to help with their fitness and to also maximize injury prevention. I really think you'll like Zach's approach when it comes to coaching psychology, understanding his athletes, and how he can get the most out of the athletes that he trains. A few summers ago, I was training soccer players in the same space where Zach's gym was located at the time. I've had the opportunity to witness firsthand the work and dedication that goes into human performance. It's actually incredibly impressive. I like to have folks in the strength and conditioning community come on from time to time, so professionals like Zach, because of the cause and effect relationship that takes place between the the off-the-field work and the on-field performance. There isn't a magic solution other than putting in the work. Zach talks about that in this particular episode. I hope you enjoy my conversation in episode 20 of On the Touchline with the owner of Snyder Strength and Conditioning, Zach Snyder. All the way from when I was a little kid, I was a wrestler. Like you said, I, I was involved in wrestling since seven or eight. Um, but I played other sports too. I never, never actually played soccer, but I've always always been interested in um, played baseball and football. Um, but just sports that was basically my life up until, um, well, it even is now, but got into a little bit of success in high school. I got recruited, um, Division One wrestling, did that for a while, got injured, um, kind of never made it back out to full status, full competition, so um, always had like a little bit of a, like, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, something like a little bit of unfinished business or something like that, mm-hmm. um, which kind of I filled with strength and conditioning as I moved forward. I got into, um, out, of, out of school, graduated, I got a job at um, a local physical therapy clinic um, as an exercise specialist, like just rehab aid, or what have you. Um, from there, I really realized, I was thinking PT school, uh, mainly just because of money and a, a secure job for the rest of that seemed pretty interesting to me, but um, I realized I didn't really like the rehab side of things as much as I liked the performance side of things. I liked pushing athletes. I liked um, seeing what they could possibly do, and then uh, like supplementing that with a 
strength and conditioning program to see what they can perform, how much higher they can perform on, on the field or on the mat or wherever they were mm -hmm. uh, performing. Um, I fell in love with that. I kind of left the PT world and went into um, working for a local gym. One thing led to another. Uh, I ended up buying the gym. <laughs> and then we moved down to this new building. I bought a facility, a larger space, upgraded everything, um, continue to grow every day. Um, but it all comes back to my passion is training athletes. And, and even, the, even the average person that I train, the normal uh, weekend warrior type person, I, I train them like an athlete. So I, I push them, their mental barriers, their physical abilities, just like I would a young athlete. Um, but mainly just seeing what, what the human body can do and, and, and not only the body, the mind as well. You, know, you mentioned I, I lean, I, I, it's funny when I watch my own Instagram stuff and my own content, I, I lean a lot towards the mental side. I don't know, it, it's just, I'm not doing that on purpose, it's just what interests me. Um, I really enjoy the psychology of, of training and the psychology of sport. Well, so I've had the opportunity to see what you do in person, and I've always teetered on that edge, my wife and I, of joining the gym, and uh, I always tell herself, man, like, we need to make this commitment, because what you do here is different than what you see at, you know, I'll call it the, the big box gym, right, that a lot of people probably go to, no disrespect to those places, um, but what you do here is different, and you know, uh, there have been times where I've seen guys and gals, you know, smacking tires. I've seen people climbing ropes. I've seen people doing burpees. I've seen people, um, I don't know, uh, you know, other sort of, you know, a circuit of activities where at the end, I mean, they've pushed themselves to the, the physical limit. But I think you mentioned something, Zach, that I really like about the, the mental part of it. And so how do you try and kind of marry those two things together because you're putting people in like extreme physical conditions but you're also testing their sort of because you know, people could literally say like I'm done like come on I'm, that's it I've had enough right right I like I said I, I mean I think that's the most exciting part and the most intriguing part for me is is putting together a workout and when it all comes down to it it's just movement I mean it's burpees is just getting down on the ground and, mm -hmm. and jumping up in the air I mean smacking a tire the things we do we do because we want to keep it fresh and we want to keep it interesting um but in the end it's really if you ran in place for 30 minutes it'd be a workout you'd be sweating you'd be so my my personal passion on it is seeing how far not only the body will go but usually the body will keep going the mind is where i like to push people so like for example there's a girl out in the gym right now doing a half marathon row just because we kind of started a, a trend in the gym and everybody's just now doing a half marathon row for no reason. It's just, and, and the main uh, difficulty of that task is the mental aspect. Anybody literally could come in off the street and, and do that row. I mean, you, it could take you five hours, but you could get it done. It's overcoming that mental barrier and actually actually completing a test that at, during it you think hey this is impossible I can't do this and then and you you kind of turn that corner go over the hump and and realize oh man I'm gonna finish this and then at the end you're so you're so uh, excited because you you yourself conquered like a, a mental hurdle or, or something like that but that's really what's about in our classes so grind class is what we call it um, but really it's just a circuit training class, high intensity, but mostly we try to just push the pace and, and kind of push people to their limits mentally and physically. So providing the framework for that, but also motivating them to see if they can actually push themselves past fatigue and continue to work. Um, that's what it all, that's where you make the most progress, I think. You mentioned earlier about um you know, adversity, right, of getting injured um, along your journey as an athlete. And I guess I'm curious as to 
one, how you push through that, right? Because you probably could have walked away from everything, but there still was a, a fire inside that, you know, you had to reinvent yourself in essence, right? Um, so kind of take me through the, the mental or the psychology of that, of encountering, man, my, my eggs were in this basket, now I need to shift them to another basket, and, uh, you know, how you got to that place. Yeah, we're, uh, we're talking about one of the, probably the darkest times of my life. Um, like you said, reinventing who I was as a person up until that point, up until I got seriously injured and, and contemplated not continuing competing, I had only been a wrestler. I, I had always been a wrestler. And for once, I was not going to be a wrestler anymore. I would be the guy who used to wrestle or um, I used to be a Division One wrestler. Um, that was definitely, definitely hard to handle and hard to digest. I still feel like some of that influences me today. Um, but it was, I mean, as time goes on, you, you learn to, like I said earlier, I feel that, I feel that, that void, that competitive void or, or whatever, um, with passing that on to others. So with working with others, um, I, I get as much joy when I see somebody conquer a workout or, or just a mental barrier. I see them turn that corner in a workout and, and realize, hey, I can do this. That to me fills that void. So um, I just continue to stay uh, active and stay physical with my own workouts. I, st I kept in shape, I, um, that definitely helped. Um, I, as I learned more about exercise science and rehab stuff, I I learned how to take care of my better my body better myself so that I could prevent future injuries or even recover from the injuries that I had. Um, my shoulders are stronger than ever um, since surgery. I, I attribute that to my own personal regimen of exercises. Um, but really, I, I think I think um, you just come to a point where you just realize, hey, this is how life is and you can't always be a competitor. You can't always be the top level of your sport. You're, you're eventually gonna come down with that. So, mm -hmm. um, and then coaching. Coaching is probably the most rewarding, I think, now that I'm coaching, especially wrestling. Um, I'm in the practice room every day. I'm, I'm practicing alongside of that. It's like, it's kind of like a warm, fuzzy feeling inside as it makes you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to do. But I can I can compete through my wrestlers. Like whenever they win, I win. Whenever mm -hmm. um, they see success, they lose, I lose. So I mean, that, that kind of fills that void, makes me feel like, uh, feel like myself again, I guess. Yeah. So you work with a, a number of soccer players, uh, or have in the past, and um, tell me a little bit about, I don't know, what a maybe a, a conditioning or a training program looks like for a soccer athlete. And obviously that's probably going to be age-specific, uh, depending on how old uh, you know the player is, but um, what are you typically trying to achieve with a soccer player in terms of their fitness, knowing that that's such a big part of soccer? Uh, but how do you go about that? Is it any different than, say, a wrestler or a, a basketball player or a, a baseball player? It's funny. We have this conversation all the time. Um, Tyler, my my assistant here, um, we talk about this all the time. We we did when when it comes down to it, humans are humans, and and athletes are athletes. So across the board, we train pretty much everybody the same um, in terms of core strength. Um, just strength, lower extremity strength, upper body strength. Um, soccer players tend to have a lot of endurance already. It makes our job pretty easy. They're also used to working at a faster pace. Um, it's not a slow paced sport, so they're used to moving all the time. So it translates well with our programming because that's, that's our mentality is to just stay moving. Um, where they fall short is a lot of a lot of uh, soccer players lack upper body strength. We work a lot. Um, we work a lot with our soccer players, especially females, um, on upper body strength. And I would say the majority, 
the majority of soccer players, we try to focus on ACL uh, prevention. Mm. Like so, um, there's a lot of cutting. There's a lot of lateral forwards shifting of weight. There's a lot of there's a big prevalence of ACL tears in soccer just just from the nature of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the statistic is that 80 percent of ACL tears are non-contact. So it's just from running and stopping real fast, turning the direction. You, if you don't have the strength and stability in your knees and your lower body, you're gonna you're gonna injure yourself. So we're working constantly with those athletes on um, muscles that stabilize the knees, stabilize the ankles, and and mostly just keep them healthy um, so that they can continue to play and, and perform. In terms of uh, nutrition, um, again similar to. Uh, is there anything that necessarily differentiates a soccer player versus another athlete that you might train? Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, going through the drive-thru at McDonald's is probably a no-no for any competitive athlete. Uh, but I mean, what does that look like, you know, for a soccer player? Yeah, good question. That's um, really there's no difference between uh, all sports. Say an athlete should eat like an athlete, or any human should eat like an athlete Mm -hmm. um the keys i try to focus on for when i'm giving a little bit of advice um i'm not a full-blown nutritionist so i don't have i can't do like write people meal plans and things like that but i do give advice regularly um i would say you're treat your body like a machine don't put things in the machine that harm the machine or prevent the machine from working efficiently so like you you know your car runs on gasoline you don't go put kerosene in your car just because it might work a little bit uh, but there's some crap in there that's not going to let you let you perform so you put in your body um, whatever you you need to put in so that it performs at its optimal level so yeah you can avoid fast food the thing about athletes is they're burning a lot of calories on a daily basis, so they can get away with stuff like that, but it's not good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you're not going to get fat because you're burning a thousand calories in a, in a soccer practice, but again, you're not putting in the right nutrients, the right, there's basically nothing in fast food. Um, it's all processed. If you don't put in the right um, fundamental building blocks of nutrition in your body regularly, your output is going to be, uh, your outlook. Output is just going to show you what you did. You, I mean, you put in the crap, you're going to get out the crap. So, um, just in, you know, watching you work and your teamwork, that um, you train athletes literally that span, you know, multiple age groups, generations, uh, however you want to describe it, and I'm always amazed at the work you do with, you know, we, we both have kids, right? Um, that you do with kids. And so when is too soon to start a strength and conditioning program? Uh, is there is there too soon? And is it something that, you know, um, because there tends to be quite a bit of specialization, especially in soccer, right? Um, I've talked to folks that have had their own personal strength and conditioning coach. Um, that's great, you know, have, have no opposition to that. But is there a, a too early to start that process? Is it going to hinder someone's growth? Is it going to, you know, kids are trying to, to pump out weights or, or something like that? I mean, I don't know. Uh, what's your experience? So, I, I mean, there's no, never too early. It's never too early to get guidance. There's, it's never too early to, to get a strength coach or something. Um, a, a mentor that's going to help you in physical activity, but really at a certain at a young age, I mean up to up to I would even say puberty, youth. I mean young athletes, they just need to move. They need to move their body. They need to they need to do body weight exercises, squats, push ups, things, very simple things that can be done at home in your living room. But if you want to pay a strength coach to put your kid through. Maybe you need a little bit. Of, he needs a little bit of motivation. He or she. Um, sometimes a, somebody other than the parent is is a good thing. Uh, as far as like technique on on lifting and actual structured strength program, that doesn't get 
Um, at least around here, we don't get involved with actual weightlifting movements until they're they're at least close to or uh, cresting into adolescence. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we have youth programs here that uh, we do small groups that they work together um, as little as three or four or five years old. They do great. It's great physical activity. Um, it teaches them coordination. It teaches them also to be able to listen to a coach and, and be instructed. Um, but a serious strength and conditioning starts in your in your early teens, maybe 11, 12. That's when you can start to build some real strength and, and technique. But I was going to say from my own experience as a coach that um, coordination is, I don't know if you could quite put a value on it, especially with youth players. Um, because, and maybe I, I take it for granted, because a lot of the sports I played, there was a focus on that. Uh, but there's a lot of kids that I've worked with that may not be the most coordinated. And, um, you know, it's the old line of walking and chewing bubblegum at the same time, right? Um, that they seem to struggle with even simple things like that. So I, w- I would agree with what you said, that the focus is more on balance, it's more on coordination, it's more on movements, it's more on you know, sort of the, the turning and the, I don't know if you want to use the word agility, you know, to describe it, it's not necessarily on the strength part of it. And strength for a soccer player is going to look a little different, you know what I mean? And I, I like what you said about, um, you know, some of the soccer players you've worked with in terms of, you know, upper body strength. Um, because while it's a, not, it may not necessarily be the most important thing, but it is an important thing in terms of their overall makeup, and especially the core too, um, you know, when it comes to their movements and stability and balance and, and, and things of that nature. So, um, so uh, I guess I'm curious about consistency and, um, you know, sort of the reliability of athletes, right? So, and, and why I bring this up. So a guest that I had on recently who also uh, is in a similar line of work Uh, is you. She works in in Baltimore. And she was talking about hard work and consistency. That if someone's coming to you, you know, one day a week or once every two weeks, they're expecting sort of miracle results, right? You know, that there's going to be this magic, uh, you know, uh, glass of something that you're going to give them and they're going to look great and feel great and Zach's going to solve all my problems, right? Well, once every two weeks probably is not going to get it done, right? But if you're here, if you're grinding, if you're, you know, putting the work in, even on the days where you feel shitty, <laughs> and even on the days where you're going, Jesus, why am I here today? Um, what's that been like? And maybe from your own experience, because I'm sure, you know, as re- I mean, wrestlers are pretty crazy, right? I mean, and I say that with peace and love, <laughs> knowing you could probably put me in a chokehold right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a whole psychology of an athlete that, like, you got to push through boundaries. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think that's probably number one. And that's probably why I focus all of, uh, or the majority of my content myself on, on motivation and consistency and, and habits and things like that. It's, it's, that's what it's all about. Everybody's always looking for that, that quick fix that I'm going to go sign up for a gym membership. Yeah, I'm going to commit for a year and I, I'm going to go once a month, that's probably not going to do anything. I mean, you're just wasting money. It's like you said earlier about um, the big box gym. Um, the, the Probably the main thing that we differ the most from a big box or like a, a, a big like uh, Planet Fitness or something like that, um, where we differ is we try to we try to build a relationship with the, the people that come in through our doors. So when you're not here, we give you a call in a week and say, "Hey, you haven't been to the gym in a week. What's got, What's up?" We don't. We find that it's better for business that if you have clients that come consistently, they're going to see more results. They're going to feel like they're getting something out of their membership, and they're going to continue to come. If we just collected money every month and and didn't didn't keep track, everybody would kind of tread their wheels. Now, especially with Athletes, so athletes, all the time. That our, our packages, you can come and buy a ten session package or a twenty session package. The athletes that come regularly, two, three times a week, 
are on one level, and then we have some athletes that come once every couple weeks, mm -hmm. and they don't see much results. I'd like to tell them, hey, you're just wasting your money, um, because the only real way to do it is is consistency. Um, athletes, like you said, wrestlers in, in general, have to be, in order to be successful, you have to be committed to whatever you're doing, whether it's any any sport, soccer. Um, wrestlers tend to get a, a reputation for um, intensity and craziness just because um, of the weight cutting thing. We have to be, we are forced to be consistent because mm -hmm. if you fall off the wagon for a week, now you're 10 pounds overweight and you're, it's like starting all over again. Um, but yeah, I, any, I can look at an athlete after working with them for a month. I can tell you what kind of athlete they're going to be just based on their on their consistency to the gym, their you know, work ethic, and what not just consistency, but also how much effort they're putting into each session when they when they are here. I think you can tell when somebody is serious about what they're doing um, by the by the way they work in the gym. Mm -hmm. So um, knowing that this podcast. Uh, we talk to a lot of coaches, but not necessarily only coaches. We talk to a wide variety of, of folks. How would you describe your coaching philosophy? So that's a, a broad area. It's going to apply to a whole lot of people. doesn't matter the sport. And what would you say your demeanor's like when you're coaching an athlete, training an athlete? Um, I, I, I've seen it in person, but for folks who haven't, how would you describe yourself? So... It all really depends on what I'm being given as as a as a coach. So if I'm if I'm being given, like I said, hard hard work and effort at each session, I'm I'm happy go lucky. I'm I'm flowing. I'm we're gonna get work done, but it's gonna be a lighthearted atmosphere. Um, I tend to get really serious whenever athletes are slacking when they need that motivation. I switch to a to a very stern style of coaching. Um, my recently my coaching has turned into um, instead of trying to make the athlete what I want them to be I try to figure out what type of athlete they are mentally especially um, and then work with that I, I find like if I treat everybody the same and if I, I try to coach everybody following the same blueprint I get results with some and then I just butt heads with others if I if I meet them in the middle and find out what kind of athlete they are, then I can work with them to kind of bring out more of that or the better parts of that. That's, that's the new style I'm trying to, trying mm -hmm. to portray. Um, I mean, in my own athletics, I was I was an intense athlete, but I wasn't like the straight arrow hey i don't want to goof around anytime i'm in that i know i know that some athletes like to have fun have a good time um but like i said if you're if you're not doing the work that's when a coach needs to step in be a little bit more stern if they're doing the work have fun with it i like the uh i guess the word that came to mind for me right there was adaptability right so i've learned in my coaching career uh exactly what you just said zach that if if I want my athletes to be a certain thing, truthfully, that's only 50% of the equation, right? I have to understand what they want to be, who they think they can be, how can I help them get there? And so, you know, I would almost cover up the word coach and put facilitator because my job now is to create the environment, to inspire them to a certain extent, but they gotta go do it, right? I can't do it for them, I can't you know, run their fitness test for them. I can't make them put in extra work when it comes to technical abilities with a, with a soccer ball. So I guess what changed for you when you sort of made that mindset change of like, you know what, maybe I should be a little more adaptable. Um, Cause I, I can share my story, but go ahead. No, I have, I mean, I, growing up, the majority of my, uh, my coaches were usually the, um, the hard nosed old school type coaches which I think provided me with a lot of great foundational stuff um, just toughness and hard work I, I I had some coaches that I butted heads with just 
on that fact, and it wasn't me trying to be a defiant athlete or anything. It was just they refused to meet me in the middle, and, and I got to a certain age where I, you know you no longer take that. So some certain coaches always kind of um, felt distant to me just because they were unable to be adaptable. So I feel like as a coach, I'm not just coaching the good kids, or I'm not just coaching the kids that are easy to coach. I'm coaching the entire team. So if I want to reach the entire team, I've got to, I've got to find a way psychologically to connect with them and to communicate, um, especially young people who um, sometimes have a hard time communicating, and especially if they have if if they kind of close off, they, they really close off um, at a point and will no longer communicate no matter, no matter what you try. So it's very important to um, connect with that individual and just, and just see them on the same level they, they want to be seen. Um, doesn't mean they're trying to be a slacker or, or, or what you want to call them, but um, just, just finding what makes them tick and then hopefully you can squeeze out every ounce of ability that they have because they they want to run through walls for you because you've connected with them. Yeah. I, I think in the, the business of any type of human performance, I, I mean, I would almost say we're a, a psychologist to a certain extent. Um, and I say that because I'm in, I, I think by nature, I'm an extremely observant person anyway. Um, you know, in terms of what, you know, what my players are wearing, right? What type of music they're listening to? What conversation are they having before we start training? Um, and not that I'm spying on them or, or whatever, but I'm genuinely curious because it, it goes back to what you said, Zach, of um, if I can find out what motivates them, to me, that is like, that's like feeding the beast. You know what I mean? Like I can then make them better. And I can know that, um, so a, a couple examples of that. I mean, I have two players right now that I'm working with that take losing incredibly hard. And that, you know, when I first encountered that, um, you know, it, with a, a U10 group, um, it, was, it was a bit of an eye-opener to me. But then I, I, I thought more and more about it, and I, I got to a place of, you know what? Like, I don't need to try and change them they're wired that way to be competitors. So how do I take that strength and amplify it? Don't look at it as a negative, right? Don't look at it as, oh, that's a weakness they have. That's actually a strength of theirs to be a competitor. And I, I saw it yesterday in, in two matches that we played. I mean, I have a kid that will literally run through that wall. He, he's wired that way. I mean, that's just how he is. Right. Whereas other kids might take more verbal cues or, or whatever. and. It made me laugh, and I, I never take it personally, but he came off the field, and, you know, I was going to give him a high five because he was playing really well, and he just blew right past me. <laughs> and I thought, I'm like, whoa, okay, because he's in the zone right now. Like, right. you know, do not mess with Godzilla. He is in the zone right now. Um, and, I, and I love that about him. So, um, so what makes a successful coach in your mind? Um, I think just like what we were just talking about, I mean, the, the ability to connect with everybody, the ability to not only connect but bring everybody together, especially in a team sport um, like soccer, where yeah, you may not like losing, but you there's probably a good chance throughout your career you're going to be on a team that's going to lose. So mm -hmm. um, you've got to be able to to rally the troops. Um, so to say, or get your teammates motivated enough that that you're going to achieve success. So as a coach, you have to be able to take that guy that's the the star of the team, but you also have to to raise up those those guys who who are average players to be able to connect with everybody and, and play and succeed. So a successful coach doesn't necessarily need to have the greatest, greatest background in, in the sport. You don't have to be some star athlete. Sometimes the best coaches are the guys who weren't the star athletes because they had to push themselves a little bit harder and learn a lot more than the guy that it just came naturally to. Um, sometimes I feel like 
I'm glad I wasn't like a 10 times state champion or something. Mm -hmm. I feel like I would be less of a coach if I was because I would have a hard time connecting with the athlete, the, the average athlete. Um, so as a coach, just, I guess being able to connect with the entire team as a whole and bring them all together rather than just being able to coach the easy kids or the, or the star kids or the grade A, I don't know how you rate them in, in soccer, but like the best travel team, mm -hmm. probably anybody could coach that team. Mm -hmm. It's what makes a good coach is being able to go with your rec league and, and pick one of the kids that didn't really, nobody really wanted on their team and have him score a goal by the end of the year. I mean, that that to me is how you, how you define a good coach. Yeah. But someone had asked me, this was probably right before our fall season, so uh, almost six months ago, five months ago, and they said, you know, how, how are you going to define success this season? And my response to them was, if I can make our weakest player better, we'll all be better because of it. And to your point, um, you know, you're, you're only as good as, uh, you know, if you want to call it the last man or woman on the roster, you know, the person who might be might not be the most skilled or, or technically you know there yet, but I, I love and I've said this before on the show that I love taking chances on kids that maybe other coaches would discard, right? I love the kids that are there for the right reasons. I love the kids that grind. I love the kids that you know what? Like someone would have said, well, like on the surface you're you're not quite there yet. So yeah, okay, great, go play somewhere else. Come on down, you know what I mean? Because I want to make them better. And uh, there's something about that sort of like underdog mentality. I mean, it's sort of, I don't know, it's been a part of my life, you know what I mean? And I, I, always, I told someone earlier today, and I've said this before, that like I love the road less traveled people, you know what I mean? Because if everybody's going this way, I want to be the guy going the opposite way. And, and not because, you know, not because it's like fashionable to go the opposite way, but you know what? Like, there are lessons to be learned and gained from going the other way. I mean, not, a, not only about yourself, but, like, life and about perseverance and about, you know, when you get knocked down, man, like, get back up, keep going. Like, it's not – no one said this, this journey of life's going to be easy, you know? Right. I think you're, I, you're exactly where I'm, my head's at. I mean, we're, we're coaching – most of us, unless you're like a professional coach or even collegiate coach, most of us are coaching athletes who are never going to compete once they get out of high school. So what are we doing as coaches? In reality, all we're doing is preparing, like, this is their life lessons. We use our sports as, as, a, as an avenue to coach those life lessons. I mean, that's when it, when it comes down to it. We're, we're not creating the next level of, or the next generation of professional athletes. We're not sending streams of people to the big leagues. We're, mm -hmm. we're coaching youth and high school and, and, and young athletes that are gonna graduate and they're gonna take the lessons that they learned, hopefully from us and hopefully from other good coaches because they played sports to get better at life, I, mean, I think. When coaches realize that, it makes them a better coach. I think I think the problems arise when you lose track of of that that fact. You think you're you're coaching the next uh, mm -hmm. the next all star or the next guy who's going to make a couple million dollars. Mm -hmm. um, we're coaching young athletes that are that are going to take these lessons and, and, and succeed at life. I wonder if, to a certain extent, we've lost, um, I guess I would use the word fun at the youth level, right? And so I, I read something recently, and I can't remember where it was from, about the professionalization of youth sports, right? Where, to your point, that, you know, there's this sort of mentality with many coaches of like, well, everybody on my team is going to get a Division One scholarship, or everybody on my team is going to get offered a contract to go play, you know, in the case of soccer, go play in Europe, or get picked up by an MLS academy, or, or something like that. And, you know, the, the numbers say that's not going to happen, right? The percentages of that. And I right. wonder if there's some connection or correlation between fun and keeping kids inspired, right? I mean, I, I know my goal is that 
I, I judge my success that if kids want to come back and keep playing, I've done my job, right? I've created an environment for them that is fun, that is enjoyable, that they look at it and go like, I'm getting better, but I'm also getting other benefits from it as well. I venture to say you're, you're probably similar. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I mean, I, I wish, I, I think you're exactly right. I wish a lot of parents, uh, other coaches, we kind of understand that. I mean, we're not we're not making not there's, there might not be one single person that you coach in your entire career that's going to be a Division One or a professional athlete, and that's okay. I mean, you're you're affecting hundreds of kids' lives over your coaching career. Um, don't take that lightly. Don't focus on winning being the only metric of success. I mean, you gotta. There's so much more to any sport than than winning. Um, a lot of it's funny. My son is seven, and he's he's a first year wrestler. This is his first year. He plays other. He plays soccer and he plays football and baseball. I mean, he tries everything. But I go to youth wrestling tournaments are like the like <laughs> the <laughs> epitome of exactly what you don't want to see in. In sports, I mean, you have yeah. you have two guys sitting on this corner and two guys sitting on this corner, and they're screaming until their veins are popping out of their heads, and they're just screaming. They, half of them don't even know what they're screaming. Mm-hmm. They just yell, mm-hmm. "Get up!" or like the entire match. And the kid that's wrestling, so maybe like seven, eight years old, he has no idea why they're screaming, what they're screaming, or he just wants to go out there and, and wrestle. And when they lose, they cry because they come back to the corner and their dad's screaming out, why did you win? And yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's eye-opening and scary at the same time. Um, but I think, I think these parents, somewhere in their, their head, they think that if my son wins a, as a seven-year-old, he's gonna get a scholarship or, make money and mm-hmm. save me money or I don't know where this comes from but it's got to change I mean maybe it's because they've, they haven't seen much athletic success themselves or I don't know what it is um, but it, I'm sure it's like that at soccer well I, I was going to say um, I've shared this with folks before I, I have such a love-hate relationship with tournaments uh, right. soccer tournaments because Zach everything you just said happens in soccer tournaments too and I have friends of mine whose kids play hockey. It happens at hockey tournaments. Um, I've seen a, a good friend, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Adam, uh, who's a basketball person. It's happened at basketball tournaments. Right. Right. So baseball tournaments for my nephew. Um, and so I guess my follow-up question would be, I, you know, not expecting you to have a, a you know, magic bullet answer here or anything like that, but like, how do we change that identity or how do we change that philosophy because I don't think you approach your work that way um, you know you want your son to give his best effort you're going to put your arm around him afterward you're going to love him more than you probably loved him when he walked in the building right Absolutely. so um, you know how do we get to that place of like you know this isn't cutthroat you know like we're on the verge of like literally killing each other because some 7 or 8 year old didn't pin a person or score a goal or missed a penalty kick or I mean it's insanity right I agree I mean this is a good start things conversations like this people hopefully pay attention to, to information and, and listen to information like podcasts like these um, just having that conversation putting out putting out the message that hey this is not how it has to be I, I think in the end, counseling. It, you're on the front lines. You're 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 a coach. You're now instilling that lesson to your athletes. So hopefully, when they grow up, maybe they they take that message and, and pass it forward. Um, maybe just all these parents in the in the bleachers now have all had pretty poor coaches up until this point. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's the way their coaches treated them, or yeah. their parents treated them. Um, I think the, the more the more people and young, young athletes we can pass this message on to, um, the, 
hopefully grow that in the future. But well, it, you might be onto something there because I, I've often said that you know early in my coaching career, the type of coach I was, I was replicating other coaches that I had. Right, I didn't know any better. I had, I didn't have enough experience to even form my own sort of what do I want to accomplish, right? And it took a, you know, uh, not only my wife, but stepping back from it just for a little bit going like, whoa, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? I'm truly like reenacting some of the awful people that I had as coaches and, you know, not healthy, right? And so it took a, a mindset change. It took a philosophy change to get to a place now of like, you know, like I lead with positivity all the time. Right. I mean, there's very little negative that I try to do in a session. Um, you know, there, there's corrective things. So just because I mentioned something to a player doesn't mean that it's necessarily ne- negative. But it typically everything I lead with is a strength based. What are you doing right? And it goes back to, you know, what I was mentioning earlier about the, the two U10 players who take losing really hard. Yeah, on the surface, they take losing really hard, but there's a competitor in there. How do I amplify that competitor, you know? So, but I think people want, parents especially, are maybe modeling the behavior that they've seen from other coaches. I hope over time that, you know, good folks like you and I and, um, you know, other folks in our sports or whatever, that we continue to model, uh, you know, the, the type of behavior that we want. So, um, so uh, I guess to, to wrap up, so, I'm fascinated by people that kind of carve out their own path and carve out their own journey. And we started our conversation talking about how you've gotten to this place. And for folks who might be listening to this going, well, you know what, like my life kind of is, is kind of boring or, you know, like I, I go to a job, but it doesn't really bring me satisfaction. What advice would you give them of like, you know what, like claim your life, like own it. Um, make the most of the opportunity. You only get one chance, right? There's no redos here. And you sort of, whether it be by luck, happenstance, you know, uh, the previous situation that you and I, we won't give folks the full backstory, but Zach was in a very weird spot not that long ago. And uh, yeah, I mean, what advice would you offer to them? Um, just don't give up on, on the idea that um, you can do what you want to do. I mean, I think a lot of folks just kind of, they're, they're just happy to settle because they don't think, like, I'd, I'd really like to do this, but nah, you can't do that. I gotta get a normal job or get the normal job and then do what you want to do on the side. I mean, I, I part of my success and, and what I'm doing now is, has fallen, seems like fallen into my lap, but most of it is because that's, that's what I've, I've kind of focused my thoughts and efforts on. I, I, I've always wanted to um, be in business for myself. I always wanted to have a business where I, I don't feel like I'm going to work every day. I, I want to, I, and I don't. It's, it's been like that for a couple of years now since I've been doing my own thing. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've been. I've been in, in business for myself and I feel like I come to work and it, it, every day is an adventure, every day is, uh, poses new problems and new new things that I have to deal with, but it really doesn't feel like I'm going to punch a clock or I'm just doing it for money because um, mm-hmm. there are much easier ways to make money in the world. But I also find great, great uh, pleasure in in passing information on and feel like I'm actually making a difference. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if we're having this conversation, even if 10 people listen to it, um, that's that's enough for me. I feel like I, I'm, I'm actually making a difference rather than mm-hmm. just going through the motions and, and like a cog in the wheel. I uh, actually feel like that's the only reason I want to be here is if I can make a difference. If, uh, if folks want to connect with you, um, on social media. I know you're active on a number of different platforms. So how can they do that? So um, a lot of my information, I, I post on Instagram, um, Snyder Strength. It's Snyder underscore strength, um, S-N-Y-D-E-R. 
I have a good Facebook page. Um, also, Snyder Strength. We we post more um, more content focused around our programs and things here at the gym. Um, and then we're we're actively um, trying to keep up with a blog now. This this new year is kind of a new goal for me is to get more active with the blog. Um, more putting more content out there. Um, we're going to try to increase. I'd like to get at least a blog post a week. I'm trying to get that worked into my schedule, but it's on SnyderStrength.com. Um, there's a blog section on there. Also, um, we have a YouTube channel, Snyder Strength YouTube channel that um, we're going to start putting on longer, longer content videos, um, better technique videos, explanations, and things like like what we talked about today. I think moving forward, though. Um, I, I, I like said like I said earlier. I, I really enjoy the mental and the psychological aspect of what I do here in the gym, but also coaching in general. So um, moving forward, um, looking for more content. You should be looking for more content about motivation, um, effort, things like that, not just strength and conditioning. So don't be misled by our Snyder Strength name. <laughs> Well, Zach, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And um, I think you had a lot of really great insights there on, like you said, the men- the mental side of sports. And, uh, you know, cover-up soccer, cover-up wrestling, I mean, these are probably applicable to any athlete, any background, um, you know, that's out there. So can't thank you enough for, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome. Uh, I look forward to hearing more from what you have to offer. Yeah. Cool. All right. My thanks to Zach Snyder, the owner of Snyder Strength and Conditioning in Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania, for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. I have included a link to his gym in the show notes, so if you want to learn more about Zach in his journey and how you can also follow him on social media. My sincerest thanks for listening to the On the Touchline podcast. If you like an episode of this show, please share it out on social media. And when you do that, use the hashtag On the Touchline. You can tag me at any time on Twitter or Instagram, and my handle is at SoccerCoachJB. Would love for this show to keep growing and more and more coaches, players, parents, and those who are lovers of soccer to find out about this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and this has been the On the Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.